Welcome to the Table of Perspective. Today I'm your host, Bila, and I'll be sharing a very exciting book that I had the privilege of being able to read through. Um, and it's called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. I'll be going straight into the depth of it in just a moment, right after our first song, so please enjoy. made uh, is a book written by mostly Dr. Paul Brand. He, um, he basically does most of the narrative and I would advise this book as, okay, maybe let me put it this way. It is a very thorough book. It goes very in depth into cert certain um, biological and as well spiritual matters. And the way that it's written is basically straight from the mind of a scientist in a sense and dr paul wilson brand uh, cbe was a pioneer in developing tendon transfer te techniques for use in the hands of those with leprosy so he was the main person who did the narrative and according to the back of the book um, it speaks about how dr paul brand is a world-renowned hand surgeon and leprosy specialist now in semi-retirement he serves as clinical professor em emeritus um, department of orthopedics at the University of Washington 
uh, in America. The co-author with Philip Yancey of The Gift of the Pain, um, and this book was a sequel in his image. Dr. Brand lives in Seattle, Washington currently, um, but the updated information is he actually died in, on the 8th of July 2003 in Seattle, Washington. Um, Dr. Phil, uh, Philip Yancey served as an editor-at-large for Christianity Today magazine. His most recent book is What's So Amazing About Grace? This book or rather his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, won the 1996 Gold Med Medallion Book of the Year Award. Yancey has written six Gold Medallion Award-winning books. He now lives in Colorado. Um, so that's just a little bit about who the authors are. And the interesting part about this book in, specifically, or in specific is, although when I had picked it up, I was kind of hesitant on whether or not it would be something that you could really read through and enjoy. Um, I thought that it would have been purely doctrinal or purely um, clinical in a sense, but it actually has a very nice flow of narrative. Uh, right in the front of the book, as you open it up, it says that men go abroad to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. And that was written by St. Augustine. And then just below it, it says that you were created, uh, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that was written by uh, David in the Psalm 139 verses 13 to 14. And the way that the contents are, are broken up is cells, bones, skin, and motion. Um, and you actually start reading, uh, if you go into the preface, there's a little bit of an elaboration on how the book was written and some of the perspective of the author. And that's actually what I will be going into right in the beginning. So in the process it is of writing this book, some 20 people gave us valuable editorial comments and suggestions, for which we are profoundly grateful. Those in particular, Harold Fickett, Elizabeth Sherrill and Tim Stafford, offered constructive comments which led to a major restructuring of the entire manuscript. We offer special thanks to them and to our perspective and faithful um, editor, Zonderfan, Judith Markham. So it says... Except in this preface, uh, the personal pronoun I will always refer to Dr. Paul Brandt. The book is written from his perspective. Yet unlike many books with co-authors, this was not written in the old as-told-to style. I first met Dr. Brandt when doing research for my book, Where is God When It Hurts? His medical cred credentials in the field of pain are unquestioned. Besides 18 years of brilliant pioneering research on the disease of leprosy in India, he has attained world stature as a hand surgeon and rehabilitation specialist. In honor of his contributions, he has received the prestigious Albert Lasker Award and has been made Commander of the Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth. I knew these facts about Dr. Brand before visiting him at the Leprosy Hospital in Carville, Louisiana, where he works and lives, but I did not know the degree to which his Christian faith has permeated his life and thought. As an avid scientist, bird washer, watcher, and um, mountain climber and organic gardener, he has striven to integrate the natural order with the spiritual order. During my second visit, Dr. Brand hesitantly pulled out a 90-page manuscript, part typewritten, part Dr. Scratchings, which contained some of his thoughts on the human body. He had developed the manuscript from talks given at Christian Medical College in Vallor, India. 
In a sense, he said, we doctors are like employees at the complaint desk of a large department store. We tend to get a biased view of the quality of the product when we hear about its aches and pains all day. In this little manuscript, which I set aside long time, a long time ago, I tried to pause and wonder at what God made. I took an old analogy from the New Testament and updated it with expanded knowledge we've gained from modern science. Curiously, every medical discovery seems to make the analogy fit even better. Not one has weakened the original meanings the Apostle Paul set forth. The idea of a book on the body of analogy attracted me because I too appreciate the harmony between the natural and spiritual worlds. G.K. Chesterton's book, St. Francis of Assi, proposes the intriguing theory that the Dark Ages resulted because paganism and mythologies had strained or stained the natural order so deeply that Christians could not perceive nature as part of God's revelation. It was no good telling such people to have a natural religion full of stars and flowers. There was not a flower or even a star that had not been stained. They had to go into the desert where they could find no flowers or even the cavern where they could see no stars. As a result, visually, all forms of art sank to a low level during this period of civilization. For the Christians, nature had been cleaved from supernature. Today, a similar process is taking place. The created world has lost its sacredness. Christians have abandoned it, not to paganism, but to physics, geology, biology, and chemistry. We too have cleaved nature from the supernatural. I saw Dr. Brand a man with a impeccable credentials in his field of science, yet one who could also contribute a humble awareness of how nature echoes its creator. We work out, worked out many of the specific applications together, and then I spent several months of researching the medical backgrounds of each of the analogies. After long hours of interviewing, I also managed to penetrate Dr. Brand's modesty and British reserve to tap into his vast reservoir of dramatic personal experiences. Dr. Brand and I desire that this book would help span the, the chasm that for too long has separated the created world from its source. God invented matter. He invested his great creative self in the world and specifically in the design of our body. The least we could do is to be grateful. Hopefully, the book will also offer insight into the mysterious organic relationship that exists among the people of God. New Testament writers kept drifting back to a single metaphor to express this relationship, the body of Christ. In this first book together, we examine the body and four of its parts. More may follow in the future volume. Someone attempting to describe the color scarlet to a person born blind declared, it is like the sound of a trumpet. In a sense, metaphorical symbols are the only way for us to grasp spiritual truths, which explains why the Bible uses them so lavishly. And symbols have a certain power. As John V. Taylor says, no man is an island or has 50 times more voltage than no man is self-sufficient. In the field of religious publishing dominated by books heavy on theological content or personal experience, we hope that these analogies provide another mode of perceiving reality. If it ever bothers you that we explore the body analogy more fully than the Bible does, please close the book. We do not want to bend truth to fit an analogy. On the other hand, you may find, as we did, that the human body expresses spiritual reality so authentically that soon the common stuff of matter will appear more and more like a mere shadow. And that was written by Philip Yancey, who started elaborating more on what the book would be about and um, how it was written. So in the first chapter, it is cells. 
and um, it goes straight into members uh, on page one. I'll only be reading a little bit from this uh, section specifically because it is quite heavy in its um, uh, elaboration of cells itself and the matters of the members. Um, and straight off the bat on the top of the page it says that by Lewis Thomas, I have been trying to think of the earth as a kind of organism, but it has no go. I cannot think of it this way. The other night, driving through a hilly wooded part of southern New England, I wondered about this. If not like an organism, what is it like? What, it is, what is it most like? Then, satisfactorily, for the moment, it came to me. It is most like a single cell. I remember the first time I saw a living cell under a microscope. I was 21 years old and taking a short course in tropical hygiene at the Livingstone College in England. We had been studying parasites, but our specimens were dead. I wanted to see a living amoeba. Early one morning, before the laboratory was cluttered with students, I sneaked in the old science building. The imposing red brick structure stood next to a pond from which I just scooped some of the water in a teacup. Bits of decomposing leaves floated in the turbid water, smelling of decay and death. But when I touched one drop of that water on a microscope slide, a universe sprang to life. Hundreds of organisms crowded into view, delicate single-celled globes of crystal, breathing, unfurling, flittering sideways, excited by the warmth of my microscope light. I edged the slide a bit, glancing past the faster organisms. Ah, there it was, an amoeba, a mere chip of translucent blue. It was barely visible to my naked eye, but the microscope revealed it e its inner workings. Um, and I'll keep elaborating a little bit more on this chapter as we go into our second song. But just to um, mention here, I really, really appreciate the way that he elaborates or he explains these terms. And he dives so deeply into a world that although exists in our constant reality, um, most people have nothing or have no knowledge about. And like Philip Yancey had said in the beginning, that correlation or bringing together of realities that we don't see and that which we live in, um, he does so well in this book. Um, so straight after the second song, I'll keep going through the cells. Please enjoy. You know where I've come from you see the struggle in my stride There's a lesson in the journey You see me on the other side Just want a little more heart connection A little more Holy Spirit fire A little more heart connection A little more Holy Spirit fire Limitations. You hear my unconscious mind when I wake up in the morning and when I lay my head at night. Oh, just want a little more heart connection, a little more Holy Spirit fire.
last night seems long I may not see my victory yet Oh, but the victory is won Oh, just want a little more heart connection A little more Holy Spirit fire A little more heart connection A little more Holy Spirit fire As long as my heart's beating You just keep on changing me Oh You're tearing walls down As you're building me up From glory to glory You're tearing walls down as you're building me up for the glory of your son. You're tearing walls down as you're building me up from glory to glory to glory. You're tearing walls down as you're building me up for the glory of your son. Page 16 says that something about the Muba murmurs that it is one of the most basic and primordial of all creatures. Somehow it has enlisted the everyday forces of millions of spinning atoms so that they now serve life, which differs profoundly from mere matter. Just an oozing bit of gel, the Amoeba performs all the basic functions that my body does. It breathes, digests, excretes, reproduces. In its own peculiar way, it even moves plumping a hummock of itself forward and following with a motion as effortless as a drop of oil spreading on a table. After one or two hours of such activity, the grainy, watery blob will have traveled a third of an inch. That busy, throbbing drop gave me my first graphic image of the jungle of life and death we share. I saw the amoeba as an autonomous unit with a fierce urge to live and a stronger urge to propagate itself. It beckoned me on to explore the living cell. Years later, I am still observing cells, but as a physician, I focus on how they cooperate within the body. Now I have my own laboratory at a leprosy hospital on a swampy ground on the Mississippi River in Carville, Louisiana. Again, I enter the lab early before anyone is stirring, this time on a chilly winter's morning. Only the soft uh, buzz of fluorescent lights overhead break the quietness. 
but I have not come to study a mubane. This morning I will examine a hibernating albino bat who sleeps in a box in my refrigerator. I rely on him to study how the body responds to injury and infection. I lift him carefully, lay him on his back and spread his wings in a cruciform uh, posture. His face is weirdly human, like the shrunken heads in museums. I keep expecting him to open an eye and shriek at me, but he doesn't. He sleeps. As I place his wing under the microscope lens, again a new universe unfolds. I have found a keyhole. The albinic skin under his wing is so pale that I can see directly through the skin cells in the pulsing ca uh, capillaries which carry his blood. I focus the microscope on one bluish capillary until I can see the individual blood cells pushing, blocking, thrusting through it. Red blood cells are by far the most numerous, smooth, shiny discs with centers indented like jelly donuts. Uniform in size and shape make them seem machine-stamped and impersonal. More interesting are the white blood cells, the armed forces of the body which guard against invaders. They look exactly like the amoebae. Amorphous blobs of turgid liquid with darkened nuclei. They roam through the bat's body by extending a finger-like projection and humping along to follow it. Sometimes they creep along the walls of the veins. Sometimes they let go and free float in the bloodstream. To navigate the smaller capillaries, bulky white cells must elongate their shapes, while impatient red blood cells jostle in line behind them. Watching the white cells, one can't help but thinking them sluggish and ineffective at patrolling territory, much less repelling an attack. Until the attack occurs, that is. I take a steel needle and, without waking the bat, prick through its wing, puncturing a fine capillary. An alarm seems to sound, muscle cells contract around the damaged capillary wall, damming up the loss of precious blood. Clotting engines halt the flow at the skin's surface. Before long, scavenger cells appear to clean up the debris and the fibroblasts and the body's reweaving cells gather around the injury site. But the most dramatic change involves the listless white cells, as if they have a sense of smell. We don't know how they sense danger, but nearby white cells abruptly halt their aimless wandering. Like beagles on the scent of a rabbit, they home in from all directions to point of attack. Using their unique shape-changing qualities, they ooze between overlapping cells of the capillary walls and hurry through tissue via the most direct route. When they arrive, the battle begins. Leonard Nilsson, the Swedish photographer famous for his remarkable close-ups of activity in the body, has captured the battle on film as seen through the electron of a microscope. In the distance, a shapeless white cell resembling science fiction creature, the blob, lumbers towards a cluster of luminous green bacterial spheres. Like a blanket pulled over a corpse, the cell assumes the shape. For a while, they glow eerily inside the white cell, but the white cell contains granules of chemical explosives, and as soon as the bacteria are absorbed by the granules, uh, they detonate, destroying the invaders. In 30 seconds to a minute, only the bloated white cell remains. Often this is the task of a kamikaze one, resulting in the white cell's own death. In the body's economy, the death of a single white cell is of little consequence. Most only live several days or several weeks. And besides, the 50 billion active ones prowling the human uh, adult, a backup force 100 times larger than that lies in a reserve in the bone marrow. And um, just to close off from here, uh, this is just a little bit of how the uh, author elaborates this information. And it really is so exciting to read because um, it's, an, it's a type of information that you don't 
generally think about or look into, but it is a constant in everyday life. And um, it really does give way to worship of God and the creation, how man is made in his image. Um, it really is so insightful and such a joy to read. Um, so I do encourage you to, if you're able to pick it up and perhaps read through it, maybe have a notebook to chew through some of the concepts that might be challenging. Um, but that's all from me. I do hope that you enjoyed that and that you have a pleasant day for them. Cheers. That, that is what the cross accomplished. To unify, to make, and then it goes on to say, and he made them that were once at war one new man. <laughs> oh my God. It doesn't say he just unified them. It says he made them one. That's the language the Bible uses for marriage. That's a mystical union that only God can accomplish. Yet the we know that Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. The Stellar Awards are as black as you can get and the Dove Awards are as white as you can get. And there's such a struggle between the races and the church. We know about the races, we know about America, we're not talking about the world. We just talking about what's in the church, what God wants to mend, the relationships that God wants to mend in the church, the races and the ethnic groups that he wants to reconcile. Right now it's white church, black church, Hispanic church, Asian church. Why? And the Bible says that John looks up in the heavens and he gets a glimpse of what God always intended for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every creed, everybody worshiping as one, what he intended from the beginning, but it was destroyed because of man's sinfulness. The Tower of Babel, before the Tower of Babel, everybody was unified. Everybody was one. So the only reason we're so scattered, because the Bible says that God scattered them because of their sin. He scattered them. So that's what we're seeing right now is we're scattered. But what we're crying out to God for is that reconciliation that only the cross can accomplish. And it goes beyond races and ethnicity. It goes all the way to your friendships, broken friendships, broken marriages. That he, God, has the power to reconcile, to tear down the wall of hostility. Oh my God. It doesn't matter how you were betrayed by that person, molested when you were young. God says, I came to mend all of that, to reconcile that relationship. But it's not easy. This is why we need the grace it's not going to be enough to just sit in a room and talk amongst ourselves. We need the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, a supernatural work that only comes from him.
nature, fragmented and scattered. He can do it. Turn up the volume. The volume. This is Radio On Demand. What you want, when you want it. It's Active It's Active Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and YouTube.